a cuppa and a good chinwag? The story has real-life stories to inspire and make you smile. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. On a Tuesday, we like to connect with Greg Bondar. He's National Director of Christian Voice Australia, National Think Tank Advocacy Group for Families, Liberty and Faith. Greg Bondar, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, Delighted to be back, uh, Neil. Thank you very much for the invitation again. Uh, Greg, a lot of things you're doing uh, revolve around some webinars and uh, you've got a growing audience now and you have some pretty special guests. You've got a webinar that's on tonight and it's focused on The Voice. Uh, What are you particularly focusing on? Uh, Neil, I apologise. That web- webinar was last night. Oh, okay, it's last uh, night. Okay, so yeah, we're coming in. Uh, we're coming in in light of that. Okay, that's great. Yeah. So you're really getting first hand the feedback. Uh, I had as my guest Barnaby Joyce, MP, as you know, uh, Queensland based. I also had um, a senator from Tasmania, Jonathan uh, Dinham, and uh, along with that, I had an Indigenous person who. Uh, who, who described himself as, a, as, as Aboriginal and Australian, and that was Anthony Dillon. Now, it was a very, very good webinar. We were going to have uh, Warren Mundine on, uh, Neil, but uh, interestingly, if you saw the newspapers on the weekend, uh, uh, Warren was uh, self-confessing uh, in the media that he was, he's been under attack because of his stance on the voice, being the no case, and he's contemplated suicide many occasions. So this was really sad, Neil, because um, what we're seeing now is that, you know, are we being prevented from voicing our opinion on the voice, Neil? When you've got this sort of intense pressure, just uh, staying with Warren Mundine for a few moments, uh, intense pressure, um, it does have an effect on mental health and it is challenging and it just goes to show just how divided our nation is right now around this and the sorts of um, mudslinging that's going on and even you might even say from both sides. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Neil, the issue we have here is that uh, the, the, the Australian public are being presented with a choice, a choice being a, a referendum that says that we recognise uh, Indigenous people in the Constitution plus other other things that are not explained to us and the other choice is to say, no, we don't want this. Now, one of the issues we've got, Neil, is that quite frankly, I think that if we're being pressured into having to agree with a yes vote, then it's a sad case for all, all of us, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, uh, whether you're Indigenous or not. So we've got to be very careful that we have a, a balanced a biblical debate on this issue, Neil. I guess at least, Greg, there is going to be a pamphlet delivered to every letterbox in the country and it's already available online and it does mm. present a yes case and a no case. Uh, at least that is one of those things that will go out. Um, but was there any sort of debate or what have you heard about how effective that pamphlet might be in persuading either side? Yeah, and look, I think the, the, the issue with the pamphlet, it can be very um, uh, difficult to interpret. Uh, and also, I think you've got to be very careful on what the cases uh, each side has put forward. The real issue that was made last night by, in particular, um, a number of the speakers was that, quite frankly, uh, we're being presented with a choice 
that we don't have all the details on now. Now, you know, we perspective as well, you know, Romans, when I was reading this, government is given by God as a good gift for the maintenance of justice and ordering of human society. The issue we've got here is do I have to vote as the government tells me, yes, or can I as a Christian make my own choice and vote no, for example. Some Christians may want to vote yes, but the real issue here is, Neil, what is the impact on us as Christians and in particular Australia as a whole? Interesting, isn't it? If you try and define or work out what is happening with all of the withholding of facts around the voice, as you say, there's so much concern that the government isn't wanting to give all the detail about how this whole thing might work if there is a yes vote. There's a sense here in which coercion happens by the withholding of the truth. Uh, is this something, do you think, that, that we're seeing right now that's unfolding in our society? I mean, it's quite obvious that there's a withholding going on. Is that actually a coercive thing? Is that something we should be really concerned about? Oh, absolutely, Neil. And I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, later on in your program, now that you'll be talking about the issue of uh, the information uh, draft bill that's before uh, Parliament as well, which is, is another instance of government trying to control what you can and can't say. But that's another issue. Last night, the point was made quite clearly, Neil, in the, in, in the webinar that Australian Aborigines do not need a taxpayer-funded lobby group the voice written into the heart of our constitution, Neil. That's the issue that is really at the heart of the matter. And and uh, Jacinta Price, as you, whom you know well, um, uh, who, who conducts the Fair, Fair Australia campaign, is making the point quite clearly for mainstream Australians to realise that the voice is divisive, dangerous, expensive, and it's just not fair for the mums and dads of Australia. I wonder if you've got any thoughts here, and you're very well connected, Greg, um, where the church is on this issue. And then, of course, when you say where the church is, uh, that's a very generalised sort of a comment. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of churches and their leaders came out early on in the debate and uh, were saying, uh, yes is the way to go. Uh, is there any wavering? Is there a change from where churches have founded their position on this, do you think? Uh, that's a good question, Neil, because I think there are a lot of uh, pronouncements made by prominent churchmen and theologians who are saying, oh, look, really, we should be voting, yes. But but the point is made by a number of commentators, Neil, that the these prominent churchmen and theologians are, are actually misguided on the issue. All factors considered... My view, and, and, and a lot of commentators' view, Christian commentators, that Christians should be voting no to a divisive constitutional change. The church as such always says, well, we can't get involved in this issue. Well, we can. Some church uh, spoke people have, have, have come out publicly, but I think they've been misguided in actually understanding the implications of the voice in terms of constitutional um, management and in terms of also the impact it's going to have on the average mum and dad in the street, Neil. <laughs> so after last night's webinar and uh, your conversations with your guests, uh, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'm just uh, preempting here, but uh, clearly there was a strong no that was coming from the guests that you featured in the webinar last night. 
Absolutely. I mean, the point also was made, I guess, in a sort of a, um, a quiet way that there are far too many culture warriors out there at the moment, Neil, that, you know, you, you can see them in the public service, uh, in sport, schools and in the workplaces. And, and we don't need another culture warrior being the voice to tell us what and how we should be thinking about the future of Australia. Now, do, you know, the, the question, if somebody says to me, should Indigenous people be recognised in the Constitution? I say yes. Full stop. No more. In other words, no more of the voice. We don't know what it is. We don't know how it's going to work. We don't know the implications. We don't know the regulations to it. If in doubt, Neil, the answer is no. If in doubt, the answer is no. And uh, I think uh, all Australians of goodwill, all Christians of goodwill, will want to see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters recognised mm. appropriately. But, uh, yes, there is a line by which you might say uh, there has to be no because we don't know the full detail. Uh, there's so much unknown and there does appear to be a coercive stance from uh, yeah. government around what is likely yeah. to come and there are all sorts of yeah. scepticism and yeah. you might be cynical rightly about who's going to be making those rules and uh, setting it all up once there is a yes vote if that were to happen and just to mention too that there is a brand new book that has just been released it's called the spirit behind the voice the Religious Dimension of the Voice Proposal. It's edited by uh, Gabriel Moens and Augusto Zimmerman. And uh, I'm going to be having lots of conversations about mm. those uh, issues and the chapters uh, that are within that particular book. And so for listeners, mm. keeping an eye out, if you're looking and saying, what is the religious dimension around the voice? That book might be one you can get a hold of. It's published by Connor Court. Hey, uh, Greg, let's turn to another issue, uh, something else that's another passion of yours, and that is uh, men's ministry. And uh, you've got a men's summit webinar coming up. Um, What's this one all about? Yeah, look, the actual summit is on tomorrow, Neil. It's a webinar. If anybody wants to, uh, my website, um, and you can register. Look, just talking about Warren Mundine suicide. The issue we've today are under enormous pressure and, and we'll be talking about what are the things that know in order to engage with men and I think that's going to be a real, real issue because they, they are things like gender roles, um, stay-at-home dad, gender equality, dads as educators and Dad and church. So they're real topics that we need to talk about. Interesting change that's happened over the decades. And, uh, you know, I know you're not ashamed to say you're old enough to remember (laughs) some decades ago, but uh, you've got this perspective and you remember men and men's ministry uh, just going back 30 years. Uh, What sort of transitions and changes and ups and downs have you noticed along the way if you were bringing some sort of contrast or comparison over that time? How do you think about that, Greg? Look, I think, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about is gender roles. I mean, uh, look, Neil, when I was growing up, I must say, um, mum did the housework, the cleaning, the, the, the cooking, the ironing, the washing. She did all that. And dad went and earned the income, so to speak, you know. These days, I look at my two sons, Neil, who are both happily married, wonderful wives, wonderful children, 
do you know what, Neil? And sometimes I'm, I'm ashamed because my wife always has a go at me. Look at your sons. They're washing, they're cooking, they're ironing, they, they do the shopping. And I said, yes, darling, I know. Don't keep reminding me because <laughs> the point I'm making is that, Neil, our roles have changed. And, and for the better, may I say, for the better. Because don't forget, biblically, women and men are complementary in terms of what they do. And we pick up uh, where there are uh, weaknesses and we hope that our wives uh, pick up uh, our own weaknesses too. And so, so we run with each other's strengths. Uh, the role yeah. of the church in, in all of this, uh, men and this sort of gender equality ideal, uh, what are your thoughts here, Greg? And uh, is this sort of the things that you will be yeah. you know, addressing when you, with your summit? Yeah, look, I, I'm doing some research on this now because the role of the church in men's ministry is huge, absolutely huge, and I'm sorry to say neglected. It's been neglected to the extent that, um, you know, a lot of churches that I speak at and, and preach, uh, th th there are no men's ministry. Uh, men don't have a huge role within the church. Uh, in point of fact, history and and, and an observation tells us that women tend to be more active in the church than men do. And yet, um, you know, um, Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 8 tells us that the men in every place ought to pray, lifting up their hand without anger and arguing. In other words, men need to be active in the church. So it's a real challenge. And my question, Neil, is what is it that's stopping men from being more active in their church. Okay, and so you're going to be addressing some of these sorts of things in your webinar, and just let us in on a thought or two that you might have. The things that are stopping men from being active in their church, and there might even be some, uh, you know, dragging their feet, uh, being active in family and marriage life as well. And there's challenges that men face and uh, challenges that women face as yep. well. But if you're focusing on men, uh, what are your thoughts here around uh, around the causes? And, you know, and I guess we haven't got a lot of time to unpack this, but some of the, no. the basic things that we might be interested in taking things a little deeper in our own thinking. Yeah, now let me refer to some research I came up across in, in the USA about... Um, what words describe ma masculinity f for today's men? And interestingly, here are some words I'm just going to quickly at random give to you. Uh, unhealthy, endangered, confused, uh, in crisis, changing, threatened, declining, weak, regressive. And here are some other words. Uh, healthy, thriving, vibrant, stable, unchanged, hopeful, improving, strong, and progressing. These are positive and negative words. Do you know what research shows, Neil? That Christian men invariably have chosen the negative, whilst non-Christian men have seen themselves as being far stronger than Christian men. Christian men see themselves as being uh, challenged and changing. So there's a real issue here of perception of how Christian men see their role. And this is one of the things I'll be unpacking tomorrow. And uh, just a brief one here, because uh, we've got another thing to quickly move on to. But Jesus, the ultimate role model for manhood uh, in all of the appropriate ways of relationship building uh, in every dimension here. Sometimes he's 
not seen as the ideal manhood role model because you've got a whole lot of movie stars that try mm. to assume that. But any thought just very quickly here on, on Jesus, the ultimate role model for manhood? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that we should be striving as as Christian men is to be Christ-like. Christ-like in our thought, word, and deed. And, and it's important to realise that you don't have to have uh, six-pack muscles and what have you. You don't have to be, you know, handsome or whatever. It is all about being faithful to your family, to your wife, to your friends, to your colleagues, and I think that says more. But what worries me, Neil, is that Christian men don't perceive themselves to be um, strong. They see themselves as being challenged all the time. And there are reasons for that, which, of course, will take some time to, 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 to unpack now. And we do like to champion Christian manhood and uh, to actually show that in its reality because there's a lot of distraction. Hey, we did mention, uh, quickly let's touch on the misinformation, disinformation bill. Uh, The Albanese government proposing to combat misinformation and disinformation, but it's got some ramifications. Uh, Your quick uh, thoughts on that, Greg? Yeah, very quickly, you know, I think here's an opportunity for every, uh, every one of your listeners to get out there and make a submission into Parliament. Uh, they just have to uh, Google the, the misinformation and disinformation bill. The point I want to make here, Neil, is, and I can speak from experience here, is that if government is going to be the ultimate authority on truth, how then is we as Christians going to be able to expound our views on faith, life, family, freedom, And in particular, how are we going to do that in the public arena? Because if we're going to be shut down and if the government is controlling the means by we can do this, our freedoms, Neil, are really threatened. And that's the issue for me because just recently I wrote uh, one of the major radio stations in Sydney advocated – in a, in, a, in, a, in a way to say, you know, euthanasia was a wonderful thing because you could now do it legally. The issue I've got here, Neil, is that we've got to stop promoting something that is unbiblical and, and, and if you're a pro-life person, you would take great offence at that. So really what we've got to be doing is make sure government do not control what you and I can say, Neil. Well, of course, information is power and the greater the power, the more dangerous the outcomes, Mm. uh, even the abuse of that power and uh, thought control is nowhere we ought to be uh, wanting to go. But that looks like where we are headed. And as you say, there are listeners who could actually have their own say, Mm. some sort of a submission to Mm. any inquiries that are being set up around what might happen with that misinformation, disinformation bill. Let me point listeners to connect with Greg Bondar. He's National Director of Christian Voice Australia. It is a national think tank and advocacy group for families, liberty and faith. You might want to connect with Greg. ChristianVoiceAustralia.blog Greg Bondar, thanks so much for your update again today on 2020. Thank you very, very much, Neil, for the opportunity and God bless you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.